0: Tonight, I'd like to talk about inclining the mind towards joy. We're very fortunate to have many teachings of the Buddha handed down to us over 2,500 years since the time of the Buddha. And one of the threads that runs through his teachings that has been offered to us Is that there are three roots of our suffering there is greed, there is hatred or anger, and there is ignorance or confusion. And the Buddha said that if we can transform these unwholesome or negative tendencies of mind, we can be free that when we really start to see into and understand these three tendencies of the mind, that this is where we can unhook and feel freedom in our lives. In our meditation practice, as as we've been here over the days, we can see this very clearly. We say again and again to be with things as they are be with things as they are, sit and watch, walk and watch. We emphasize this cultivation of awareness, this non-interfering awareness where we're not imposing, we're not interfering with what's happening. Giving the self, this sense of self, this constriction of our self, a chance to get out of the way kind of put ourselves aside and what we want, what I want, what I like, what I don't like, putting that aside and just be with the way things are, without interfering, without demanding, so that there's the possibility of something other to be revealed. Something, something else may begin to show through as we put this sense of I aside. We say, let things be. Just let things be. And as we do this, we develop a patient acceptance of things as they come and go. There's the potential to be less reactive because we're not clinging on to the things that we like. We're not pushing away that which we don't like. We're not acting out of attachment and aversion, that movement of mind between these two. Less judgment in the mind, less criticism of what's actually happening, just letting it be, letting it be. And as the mind starts to clear from this reactivity, it calms down. And there's the potential for less confusion in the mind. There's more clarity and the more possibility for depth of insight to arise in this clear, calm space of mind. So this is what we've been encouraging, this is what we've been pointing to. Just let things be as they are. What I want to point out is that this is what this as well can also be taken to a little bit of an extreme. Just to let things be as they are. Sometimes the negative tendencies of mind, when they arise, they're very strong. And it may not be skillful just to let them be. You know, when we feel anger, we feel um, uh, a lot of lust in the mind, we want to act out of that. Sometimes it's not just, okay, let it be, let it be, let it be. And then we just see ourselves acting out in these unskillful ways and ways that actually are going to cause ourselves harm and other people harm. So sometimes it's actually necessary to be a little bit more active with our minds, not just to sort of let it be. And this is something that it took, in my practice, it's something I had to start understanding for myself because I could see that sometimes it wasn't Skillful just to let things be, that I had to be more actively intervening with my mind. To say, no, that's not okay just to keep following in those reactive thoughts. It's not okay just to keep following that. But to and to to bring about some other kind of mind state if it was possible. And this is what I want to talk about. This is what I want to bring out. <coughs> Rather than just watching, perhaps we need to be more active. There's one of, the, one of the discourses from the Buddha. He really goes into this. This is one of the uh, uh, teachings from a book called the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, which means the middle-length sayings. He talks quite a lot about how to how to pay attention to the mind so that we can work a little bit more actively, not just fall into these difficult and negative patterns of mind. This is how one of the discourses begins. He's always talking to the bhikkhus. He says, Bhikkhus, before my enlightenment, while I was still an unenlightened bodhisattva, it occurred to me Suppose I divide my thoughts into two classes. The first class of thoughts are the thoughts of sense-desire, or just desire, the the greed, thoughts of ill-will, and thoughts of cruelty. See, these are the unwholesome, or more the negative thoughts of mind. The second class are the thoughts of renunciation, or letting go thoughts of non-ill will and if we turn around if we turn that around non-ill will it's metta or loving kindness and non-cruelty if we turn that one it's compassion when we're not being cruel it's a compassionate response these two classes the wholesome and the unwholesome and he goes into this, and I this, just want to talk about each one just a little bit so that we really understand what it is that we're looking at when we talk about the negative or the unwholesome tendencies of mind and the wholesome tendencies of mind. The first one is the, uh, in this case we're talking about thoughts, the thoughts of sense-desire. Thoughts of sense-desire have to do with thoughts that are tinged with grasping after pleasurable sensations. Sense-objects that bring about those pleasurable sensations within us and we grasp onto them for the sole purpose of that pleasurable hit. That's what we're going after. Now, the key word here is DESIRE. DESIRE. There certainly are pleasurable objects that arise that we enjoy in our world. You've, you've been enjoying wonderful things all around here for these days that you've been here, all the beautiful flowers and the, and the trees and the, and the uh, birds and the beautiful sun today. That's not a problem. The actual pleasurable sensations that arise are not the issue. It's the grasping after. It's the desire that arises in the mind that wants to cling on to that, that wants to hold on to that pleasurable experience. It's having that thing, whatever that thing is, having it last, whether it's whether we want a cigarette or a new car, some new clothes, uh, whether we want that drink of alcohol, what so we have that that grasping after, because we think it's going to give us some kind of fulfillment. We project all of our hopes and dreams of fulfillment onto that object. In a sense, this is what, it's not just experiencing pleasure, it's that grasping after the pleasure, the thoughts that lead us away from ourselves towards things that we think are going to make us happy. This is what we mean when we speak of thoughts of sense desire. The second one are the thoughts of ill will. I think we probably all have a sense of what that means after spending these days with our own mind. These are thoughts which have the intent to direct pain to ourselves or to another. They actually hurt, thoughts that hurt us, thoughts of ill will. And they take the form of anger or aversion, and they can manifest as mild irritation or rage, self-judgment or judgment of others, self-hatred or hatred of others, criticism, this whole range of thought thoughts of ill will. And with these thoughts we feel separate and alienated, and in these moments, it blinds us to our capacity to love. They're like blind. We're, we're, we, get, we can get so identified with them that we, we can't feel into that true capacity that we have to be able to love others, to love ourselves. And the third category of thoughts is thoughts of cruelty. And it seems like the thoughts of cruelty are actually an intensification of those thoughts of ill will. It's ill will intensifying into cruelty or acts of violence, thoughts that want to bring injury to ourselves or to another person. The mind becomes narrow and fixates on a person as being the problem or the cause of our unhappiness that needs to be hurt or annihilated. And certainly one feels completely separate and alienated in this space and sees the problem completely outside of oneself. There is such a separation in the mind that one can't see their own accountability or involvement. It's only the problem out there, and that has to be annihilated. If someone is suffering, or even oneself is suffering, one wants to expand that pain or make it increase. They deserve to suffer, or I deserve to suffer. The Buddha talks quite a lot about this in the text, because certainly if we reflect on our culture or the world that we live in, this is a very, very big issue. There is a lot of evil or unwholesomeness in the world, in people's minds. So the Buddha Buddha talks quite a lot about really paying attention to these, these thoughts that arise in the mind. So thoughts of sense desire, thoughts of ill will, thoughts of cruelty. Now to distinguish these from what's called the wholesome thoughts of mind, The first one being thoughts of renunciation, or letting go. This is actually a very big one. This is the one that we are practicing here, that we're giving a lot of attention to. The the letting go, the renunciation. In, In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, renunciation is defined as Accepting what comes into our lives and letting go of what leaves our lives. That acceptance of what comes and letting go what leaves. That's that kind of renunciation. Doing without, not grasping after. Doing without, letting go. Don't need it, giving up. One of my teachers, Sharon Salzberg, says in her book, she says, Imagine the stillness and peace of not even leaning forward for a breath. Not even leaning forward for a breath. Just letting them come, letting them go. So thoughts of renunciation. The second wholesome thought is the thought of non-ill will or the absence of ill will, which is loving-kindness or metta. Metta sees the good in others and wishes for their happiness and well-being. We are able to see the goodness in ourselves. Metta is a love that is not bound by any selfish desire. I really like that. It's a love that is not self-possessed. It's not wrapped around oneself. And in this way, it overcomes separation and fragmentation. And it reveals a deep friendship for all things. This is the metta. It reveals an unqualified connection with all things in our life. thoughts of non-ill will and the third category are thoughts of non-cruelty which is the absence of cruelty or compassion a compassionate response to life compassion is love or the mecca turned towards the suffering aspect of life it's the ability to face suffer and not feel to face suffering and not feel the aversion to it, to actually be able to turn our minds towards that painful aspect and not repel, not withdraw, just to be able to meet it, to to be able to stay there. It is said to be that trembling or the quivering of the heart in the response to a being's pain the quivering in the heart. So beautiful. We don't run away, we don't withdraw, but we're able to stay there, whether it's our own or whether it's another person's pain. It also overcomes separateness and alienation and reveals our deep interconnectedness with all things. Now these are the two classes of thought and when we look at our own minds we're able to begin to see the movement between the two but certainly the first step is the awareness because so many people don't even know that they have thoughts I mean so many people aren't even aware of these movements within our own mind that are controlling our whole life, our whole universe. So we turn the awareness back and we begin to see the movement that there are these, these, I don't know what to call them, they're like blips or energy in the mind that actually take form, take shape, take words and language, and then take on realities. So we start to get a sense of how these move in our mind. So we start with awareness, and with awareness arises the factor of discrimination. When we are aware, we can begin to discriminate. We can say, this, not that, or this and that. Begin to see the differences of things that arise. And in this case, what is it important to discriminate? It's important to discriminate between the thoughts that are painful and harmful to ourselves and others and those that aren't. The Buddha says to watch the thoughts with care. Why is this so important? It's important because our thoughts are the seeds that give rise to all of our speech and all of our action. That thought, that thought that moves in the mind. If it's not watched carefully, it will give rise to that word, those words that come out of the mouth, and then the actions that begin to move the body. I want to read something from one of the uh, texts of the Buddha. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. Speak or act with a pure mind, and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. We are what we think. I want to read one more piece from the Buddha because this is also as relevant and points to this uh, fact very well and I actually couldn't decide which one was more relevant so I need to read them both. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into habit and habit hardens into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care and let it spring from love, born out of concern for all beings. That really points to what happens right at the point of thought if it's not watched carefully. The thought manifests as the word, the the words that come out of our mouth, the word manifests as the deed or the action and the deed develops into habit and habit hardens into character and there we are (laughs) we've just come into life depending on one thought that one thought and if it's not watched with care what can happen the power that that can happen in our reality. It points to that every thought, every word that comes out of our mouth, every action has consequences. It has a consequence. It has an effect. It has an impact in our life. And if we really want to help our transformation, to aid and support our transformation we really need to understand this to understand this cause and effect relationship that goes on because this is what shapes our reality this is what we see all around us Mm -hmm. for example some time ago don't know how long ago you had a thought I want to come to the retreat. I'd like to go to the retreat the way of heartfulness. That thought arose in the mind. And then a whole, because you followed that thought, you followed that one, you gave that one some power in the mind, a whole set of circumstances arose from that. You know, talking to your family or your whoever it was, it's people at work, you know, trying to organize things so that you could make this happen, working out your travel plans and then <laughs> getting yourself here and going through all the actions of being here on the retreat. And all of those thoughts, all of those words, all of those actions, all leading towards some very wholesome results, very wholesome consequences. It may be a little bit hard to actually know what those are at the moment. (laughs) It may seem like you may have made a big mistake by coming here. But I have more faith. I have faith in that you actually find out something else. But all of that, all of those efforts, leading to something very wholesome in your life. It's, it's, It's reinforcing more letting go and renunciation. It's reinforcing more compassion within your own mind, within your own heart. It's reinforcing loving-kindness and a sensitive and respectful attitude towards all things, towards yourself, towards others, towards the whole, uh, whole the nature around us, cultivating that, that uh, sensitive, gentle way of being and cultivating wisdom cultivating an understanding about life a truthfulness about life this has power this makes an impact in feeling more ease and feeling more contentment and feeling more freedom in your life we take the actions we follow these they make a difference The Buddha says, whatever one frequently thinks or ponders on, that will be the inclination of their mind. Whatever one frequently thinks or ponders on, that will be the inclination of their mind. That's the character, that's the the personality that develops, whatever the mind inclines. That's what gets reinforced, that's what gets strengthened. Whether it's thoughts in the mind, whether it's a way of speaking through our speech, or whether it's certain actions in our life. Either actions uh, actions that are destructive, you know, whether it's certain addictions that we have, you know, food with drugs, or alcohol, or food, or, or relationship addictions, or whatever it is. We can if we're not seeing that well, if we're not looking at it carefully, just reinforce that, reinforce that pain. Or if we're reinforcing service and kindness and caring for others and heartful actions, that's what gets strengthened, that's what gets reinforced. When we look carefully we can we can feel we can know and we can feel the immediate consequences of these movements in our own mind when we have thoughts of intense desire that has an associated feeling it's immediate it's right we don't have to see the consequences down the way it has immediate consequences we feel that Agitation, we feel the restlessness within ourselves, that, that constriction, that gripping, just when that arises in the mind. When we feel ill will, I mean, many people have reported this over the days feeling the contraction, the shutting off, the, the separation, the, the, the uh, not wanting to be around anybody else here. You know, just that way that we feel so isolated in that, in that ill will, in that aversion. And if we, we have thoughts of cruelty, we can feel the burning, it's hot, it's intense within our own beings, has immediate consequences. And if we actually dwell, which is, is the key that we keep reminding you about, if you dwell in these thoughts, in these mind states, that actually feeds more feeling. It intensifies. It gets stronger. We feel more anxious. We feel more restless, more irritated. And then it can give rise to a whole complex of associated feelings. We can feel angry at ourselves. We can feel shame. We can feel guilt. We can be hurt. We can feel betrayed. All these feelings, they just start getting very big and very complicated as it intensifies. And all of this can start to spiral, and this spiral will either fold in, and we can collapse, and feel the depression. You just everything can just collapse, and we can actually get stuck. You you know how this spirals. If if it's not caught at a very early stage, it just seems to take on more and more force more and more power and some of us will just find ourselves in a black hole of depression for others as these feelings of anger or cruelty or even some some longing or desire as it as it intensifies and intensifies we can find that that energy really wants to project out and we can get aggressive we want to want to hurt another person or, or have that energy go out towards another person. So it either can fold in and we collapse inwardly, or we get aggressive outwardly. It seems to move one way or the other as these intensify. But these are all part of the package of dukkha, package of suffering. Dukkha is the Pali word for suffering. It's one, one um, definition. We get entangled in the knot of dukkha. But on the other hand, if we have thoughts of letting go, thoughts of loving-kindness or thoughts of compassion, they have associated feelings as well. When we have that thought of letting go, or we have the intention to let go, we feel that renunciation in the mind. We feel the spaciousness or the lightness in our being. It just, it just comes as that happens. Or when we, can, when we feel the loving-kindness, when we have that thought of loving-kindness that we connect with, we feel the connection with, all, with, all, with others and with all beings. We, we feel that joy. We feel that ease in ourselves. Or if we have a moment or thought of compassion, where we really can feel into our own pain or another person's pain, again, we feel connected and that can lead to actions that really benefit other, other people and benefit ourselves. We feel good. We feel good in ourselves. And this spirals, and it widens and expands. And we really feel the expansion of that in our lives and in our, in our own being. So we can feel the consequences of these as they arise. The key point in all of this is that we're not victims of our own minds. It can feel like we are, but what I hear and what I receive from the Buddhist teachings is that we're not, that we actually can take an active step to help ourselves in our own transformation. What I've seen over the years of meditation and being involved with this is that the mind is actually very pliable. The mind is actually very flexible. At one time, I thought that the mind or myself, my character, my personality was fixed. That what I came into this life with was what I got And this is what I had to accept. And that spiritual acceptance was accepting what you got. That the way you are is the way you're always going to be, so you may as well get used to it. If you are a sad, lonely, isolated person, that's the way it's going to be, so you may as well just get used to it. And that that's acceptance. Or if you're a very angry person and don't have any friends and... um can't really get very far in your life. Get used to it. That's the way it's going to be. But what I've really seen and what's been so incredible both through my own practice and also through working with other people as a teacher is to actually see how pliable the mind is, how the mind actually can be worked with, how it can be transformed. It's not fixed. And this is probably, um, hopefully, what, what many of you have seen already here over these days, is that there isn't anything that fixed in the mind, that what comes in also goes out, that nothing stays around, nothing lasts. You've seen yourself go through many, many moods, many, many mind states, many feelings. Where are you in all of that? Who are you in all of that? the mind moves the mind moves and we can direct it with wholesome intention with skillful intention by paying attention to what is manifesting in the mind if we have moments where we're being very hard on ourselves recognizing that noticing that and saying no I don't need to be so hard on myself and bringing in a moment of Kind reflection or a moment of metta, a moment of letting go, <laughs> letting go of the judgment, letting go of the harshness. We can bring this about through that recognition, through that awareness. We don't have to just keep repeating the same pattern again and again and again. We do have a choice. We do have a choice the Buddha said an interesting thing he said that we can be the master of our own minds he said that with practice with practice he or she he didn't say or she but I'm adding she (laughs) so I'll say it the way the Buddha said it he will think whatever thought he wishes to think and will not think any thought he does not wish to think. He will be the master of his own mind. I find this very inspiring. <laughs> he will think whatever thought he wishes to think, and not think any thought he does not want to think. That kind of understanding of the mind, not that kind of precision in the mind where one does not follow the thoughts that are leading to pain. This I see as a practice. That in any moment, to be aware of what's happening, whether it's a thought, or the way that we're speaking, what's coming out of our mouths or our actions, and then to discriminate to actually ask ourselves, and I do use questions a lot in my own practice, to ask myself, is this useful to follow? Or is this useful to keep doing? <laughs> is this helpful? Is this, action, is this thought, is this communication, is this action, is it leading to more happiness and freedom? Or is it leading to more pain and conflict? is this leading me to more happiness or is it leading me to more conflict? And then to see that we have a choice. We actually have a choice. When there's that kind of clarity in the mind, we can make a choice to turn the mind towards that which is wholesome. When we see the desire rising in the mind, can we let go? When we see the ill will, can we feel into the kindness or the metta? When we have a sense of cruelty, can we feel the compassion? Now, it's true that sometimes the pattern is quite strong in the mind, and we certainly feel helpless. Oftentimes the pattern is so strong that we don't have this kind of clarity. It's not so easy. It's not just a matter of... Just even well, a lot of times not even seeing it. You know, It can all be happening so fast, it can all seem so solid that we don't see that there's uh, uh, an, a thought leading to some kind of destructive habit and that we have any choice about it at all. Sometimes we actually are fully aware that we're doing it, but we still do it. This happens a lot. Say, well I, I know that I'm doing it but I can't stop myself you know whether it's getting angry at a friend or whether we're eating food that we know we shouldn't eat or smoking a cigarette that we know we shouldn't smoke or having that, that cup of tea for the hundredth time in the day I know I just <laughs> shouldn't be having another cup of tea but we just find ourselves doing it if we don't have enough within ourselves at those moments there's nothing we can do it doesn't help to judge ourselves to get down on ourselves to get angry at ourselves because the the habit is stronger than the awareness the habit is stronger than the wisdom it's still out of balance so if there is any space in the mind at all if there's a crack of space in that habit if it's not so solid in that moment we might be able to feel a little bit of patience or compassion towards our predicament towards the way that we're acting out in that way that is so distasteful to ourselves or that we can't seem to get out of all we need is that little crack in consciousness (laughs) oftentimes what's going on we're just so identified with it we're so caught in it we can't find a way out but sometimes there's just a little space in the mind and if that is we can grab that we can seize that and say we're having an argument with, a per- an argument with somebody and we know that we're saying things that we don't want to be saying and we don't like the direction it's going and if there's just a little space we may be able to just say in a moment stop I don't like the way this is going. I just need to go out of the room for a minute right now. Just to stop it so that we don't get caught in that momentum of that habit because they can be so strong. They have so much force. But all we need is just a little space in the mind. Hopefully that's what the meditation cultivates. That's what the awareness practice cultivates is a little bit of space So that we can start to see through these fixations and these tendencies. If there's a little space, if there's some space, we can actually see that we have a choice in every moment. I was talking to a a woman a few weeks ago about this very thing. She's a parent. And she says that uh, she can see that when she gets really angry at her daughter, that she has a choice to, to carry on with that or not. But in that moment, she actually chooses to carry on. <laughs> and then she, doesn't, she didn't know that she had another choice she thought, okay, I've made the choice, now I'm caught in it and I just have to go with it and the consequences are however they're going to be. And we were talking about it and said so two things showed up. One, that actually she had the choice in each moment that she found herself on this roll with yelling at her daughter that at any point she could say, wait a minute, this isn't okay, I I don't really want to be yelling at you like this and calling it off. She didn't see that. She thought, oh, she had one chance, that was it, she blew it, and she was caught up in it. The other thing that she didn't see was that she actually was choosing anger because she did want to hurt. She really did want to cause pain and get back at her daughter for something that she did to her. And then investigating it further, she actually did see that that choice also was burning her, like holding a hot coal that she didn't know she was holding. That she was really the one that was being burnt by that choice. So the all different facets that started to be revealed as she started to investigate into this, to look at it, that there is a choice. There is a choice each moment, and there's also the choice not to cause pain. Hmm. As we strengthen the mindfulness of our actions and the consequences of our actions, we find that we're no longer willing to indulge in what causes pain to ourselves we get to a point where we just won't do it anymore. One of the great uh, Tibetan masters, Dougal Kinsei, said, he said, we're no longer attracted to those things that cause us pain. As the wisdom deepens, as we understand more fully what we're doing, we're just no longer even attracted to those things that cause us pain. We're not interested anymore that drink of alcohol that meant so much to you, not even going to touch it. Now, it's, the wisdom is so strong, the clarity is so strong, the knowing is so strong, we don't move towards it anymore. Whether it's food, drugs, relationships, um, mind states, anything it is, we, we, the wisdom, we wake up to what it is that we're doing we start to feel the urgency the urgency and the possibility of being free in our lives and even if we can't let go in any particular moment say we don't have the resources in any moment we still feel the willingness to stick it out we're not going to give up we feel that urgency towards our own freedom. We know we want to find a way. There was a woman who I worked with who really had a lot of difficulty with depression. And she found herself falling into holes again and again and again and, and had to take medication and really had a real battle with it in her life. But she came to her practice and she, to the meditation practice and she really had so much interest to to overcome this difficulty with her own mind and she worked on it and she worked on it she'd fall into the depressive hole again and it was very difficult for her felt like she was really battling but she wasn't willing to give up and so she kept meditating and she kept working with it and eventually there was more space there was more light that started to show up in her own mind. And last year, when she started to dip again and started to fall into something that seemed very, very difficult, she said, I'm not going to take the medication this time. I want to see if I can draw on my own resources. And she really went into spaces that she'd never experienced before because she wasn't able, she wasn't strong enough to go there without the medication, or she couldn't go there. I mean, the medication she couldn't, but she wasn't strong enough at all. But she got to a point where she felt strong enough, where she could start to enter in to some of those spaces in her own mind. And she overcame it. She actually came out the other side. And it's so so inspiring, and so um, I feel so much gratitude to people who have that much perseverance, really, to go through such incredible struggles within themselves and overcome it. Of course, this practice of letting go, this practice of opening into these new areas of, our, of ourselves. it's not easy. I was talking to somebody about this today and he was saying that these patterns of mind he was talking about his aversion. He's saying the patterns are so familiar entity around this aversion. And if I let go of it, If I incline my mind another way, if I start letting go of it, I feel bored. I feel bored. I feel restless in myself. Said said, but sometimes I can feel the underlying fear. If I let myself, I can go into the fear, and it feels like there's nothing. And I don't know who I am. Of course it's going to be hard. (laughs) You know, the mind wants to hold on. The mind is the ego. The mind is the sense of self. It wants to hold on to that which is familiar, that which it, it knows, how it knows itself. And what we're asking, what that practice is asking, what the teachings are asking, what freedom is after is to let go. And it may mean that our choice then is either to live in the pain and the fear of our patterns, or to move into the fear, to move towards the fear, out of a place of wisdom to look into that fear, those unknown, unfamiliar, scary places within our own self Oh, we don't know who we are. Who am I there? Or is there going to be anything there? Maybe it'll be nothing. Maybe I'll be nothing. Maybe this is the choice that we're left with. But what I want to say and what I want to leave you with is, is that this movement into the unknown or this movement into those scary, fearful places, this is the doorway to freedom. This is the doorway that we're looking for if we really want to be free. Let's sit quietly for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.